Hi there, I'm Randa Abdel-Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Yeah, I mean, you know, the running joke of uh, Daily City is that the reason why it's so foggy is because everyone opens up their rice cookers at the same time, right? This is Patricio Genelza. He directed the indie cult classic Lumpia and its recently released sequel, Lumpia with a Vengeance. The fictional fog town in the film is really his hometown. Daily City. Welcome to Fogtown, where over 60% of the population is Filipino. Can you Patricio shot the first Lumpia movie when he was home on summer break from USC film school. His friends are the actors, his neighbors, the extras. And the Filipino food staple Lumpia, his hero's weapon of choice. It's Lumpia, the Filipino egg roll. It's a very fun film, an action comedy but deals with sensitive issues of discrimination against newer immigrants within the Filipino community. It gave me an opportunity to talk about these experiences through a wacky comic book filter. I met up with Patricio at his old high school, Jefferson High, where he shot scenes for both movies. Growing up, he didn't realize it was unusual to be surrounded by so many Filipino people. I thought it was like this in everywhere else in the United States at that point. But Daily City is not like everywhere else. Filipino people are not a minority here, a fact that's apparent to anyone who works in the community. Ricky Chandra, our question asker this week, used to help international students find families to stay with. Many who worked with in Daly City were Filipino. I noticed there's a big Filipino population over in Daly City, and I was always curious about the origin of that and how they came about. Daly City does have a large Filipino population, about 30%. But it wasn't always this way. After World War II, a lot of the houses built in Daly City were in whites-only developments, like Westlake. If you didn't hear last week's episode all about that history, go check it out. Today, the second part of our mini-series on Daly City. We're going back more than 100 years to explain the complicated relationship between the U.S. and the Philippines, why so many Filipino people chose to settle in Daly City, and how this place has become a cultural touchstone for Filipinos around the world. I'm Katrina Schwartz, and you're listening to Bay Curious. Support for Bay Curious comes from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Committed to brewing things the right way since 1980, because when you're a family-run brewery, there's no other way to do it. Sierra Nevada Brewing Company, still family-owned, operated, and argued over. And be sure to stay tuned through the end of the show so you can play our monthly trivia game for a chance to win some cool prizes. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. 
Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. Producer Amanda Stupai lives in South San Francisco and has family in Daly City. She spent a fair amount of time hanging out at the Saramonte Food Court, and she's been looking into why Daly City is such a hub for the Filipino community. Hi, Amanda. Hi, Katrina. Now, I know the relationship between the U.S. and the Philippines goes back a long way. When do we see immigration from the Philippines begin? Filipino immigration to the U.S. goes back to the 1890s. By then, the Western United States had seen a lot of immigration from Asia, and many white people resented that immigrants from places like China and Japan were starting to buy land and farm. And then in 1924, there was... uh, strong push nationally, not just statewide, but nationally, to exclude Japanese immigrants. What they did was they said, why, why exclude Japanese immigrants? Let's exclude them all. This is Dan Gonzalez, professor of Asian American studies at San Francisco State. Back then, the Philippines were technically part of the United States, because after the U.S. military drove the Spanish out of the Philippines, the U.S. decided to occupy and colonize the islands the American flag flew over the Philippines, so they couldn't be excluded. They could be restricted, but they couldn't be excluded. At the same time, California was becoming an agricultural powerhouse. Farmers and businesses needed cheap labor. They found it in the Philippines. Thousands of young Filipino men came to California to harvest crops like asparagus. The hardest work that I ever done was the asparagus. You had to get that asparagus out of the field because during the hot days, that sun will soak up the liquid in the grass, the asparagus. We call it grass. That's Dimitri Ente Jr., who was interviewed in a PBS documentary about Stockton's Little Manila neighborhood. When working in the grass, that wind was just blowing out in that peak dust. You couldn't see the hand in front of your face. I wore two pairs of pants, three uh, shirts, a bandana over my head, and a scarf and uh, goggles. During the Great Depression of the 1930s, displaced people flooded into California looking for jobs. Jobs Filipino immigrants were already doing. That set the stage for conflict. Gonzalez says that animosity spurred the U.S. government to once again limit immigration this time from the Philippines. It was just as much race as it was for economic reasons. Immigration from the Philippines dried to a trickle until World War II. By the time the war broke out, the U.S. had seen 50 years of immigration from the Philippines. Thousands of those immigrants joined the military to fight the Japanese in the Pacific. And uh, my father was one of them. My father, my my wife's father, you know, my generation, just about all of our fathers. Many of those soldiers who'd fought in the Pacific met and married wives in the Philippines. That led to a second wave of immigration, this time with women and children. Gonzalez's mother married his father a couple of years after the war, giving him time to save up for a wedding and, Gonzalez teases, for his mother to be courted properly. When she first arrived in San Francisco, Gonzalez's mother and father worked at Golden Gate Nursery a huge operation that sold flowers to the Colma cemeteries. There was a big nursery, one of the biggest in Northern California, and the anchor crew was mostly Filipino. 
Gonzalez says the nursery workers were some of the first Filipinos to buy houses in Daly City. And when they moved on, often for jobs down the peninsula, they sold their houses to other Filipino families. That's likely how Filipino Americans started to build a community in Daly City. They started moving out to Daly City as early as the mid and late 50s. But they were relegated to the area to the east of Junipero Serra and typically to the older homes that were built in the 20s and 30s. These houses weren't part of big developments and didn't have rules about who could or couldn't live there like some Daly City neighborhoods. There was always an, an issue, will the white people let you live there? It was very clear that white people had the power to exclude. Dan Gonzalez remembers growing up in the south of Market area, one of the few places Filipino families could rent when they arrived in San Francisco. I have really vivid recollections of, of segregation. After saving up money, his parents started thinking about moving. He remembers a time in the 1950s when they were driving around and stopped to look at a house that was for sale. The real estate agent went to ask the owner about showing it to Gonzalez's parents. He talked to the owner for a couple of moments, walked down the stairs very slowly. He walked up to the driver's side of the car where my father was sitting and, and said, I'm sorry, Mr. and Mrs. Gonzalez, but the owner refuses to show you the house and he has the right to do that. And, you know, my, my dad, who had been here since before the Second World War, uh, he knew he had to accept that. But my mother, who had not come here until after the Second World War, uh, was shocked by it, dismayed by it. And I tell you, I think she cried for three days. It was one of the few times that she didn't go to work, you know, the next day. I don't, she never missed work. Gonzalez's family did eventually buy a home and settle down in San Francisco's Excelsior District, now a thriving, diverse neighborhood. A small but steady stream of Filipinos continued immigrating to the U.S. through the 1960s. Then, immigration policy shifted in a major way. In 1965, the U.S. got rid of its racist immigration policy that kept Asian immigrants out. The law now favored people with education or who had family already in the United States. Many Filipinos had both. As the Filipinos arrive after 1965, some of them are not only uh, educated, but they're experienced. They actually have been working in their professions in the Philippines. And so they're recruited to pretty decent jobs. One of those people was Josie Manalo. My mother, Josie Manalo, she came in 1974 as a single woman. And she came here, you know, of course, for a better opportunity. This is Daly City Mayor Jesslyn Manalo. She went to become a teacher over here. But she, her story is when she went to get her first assignment, they gave her the sixth grade class. You know, she's five feet. She was in culture shock. Like a lot of immigrants, Jesslyn's parents moved directly to San Francisco where there was a Filipino community and jobs. And then after saving up money and growing tired of living in a small apartment, they moved to the closest, most affordable suburb, Daly City. As an eight-year-old, I thought it was so far. 
I mean, going on a freeway, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm moving so far. And in hindsight, it was actually so close. Around this time, San Francisco planners were tearing down and redeveloping the Fillmore and South of Market neighborhoods. So whether they wanted to leave or not, the Filipinos living in those areas needed another affordable place to live. And many found that in Daly City. By this time, the Fair Housing Act of 1968 had passed, making housing discrimination based on race illegal. That set the stage for Daly City to become the diverse place it is today. When there's family that moved to a certain place, then other family members will move close by. And I think that's also, you know, how the population grew. People in the Filipino community help one another. It's a cultural value called bayanihan. So when folks say they're doing something in the bayanihan spirit, what they're often referring to is doing something for the greater good, for the community at large. Here's James Zarza Diaz, head of the Uchenko Center for Filipino Studies at the University of San Francisco. Zarza Diaz says the Bayanihan spirit has helped Daly City thrive. Now it has something a lot of other Filipino communities around the country don't have. International name recognition among Filipino Americans and Filipinos. You can say Daly City and people know where that is because they probably have a friend, a relative, some family member or, or connection that lives in Daly City. The Filipino Channel is headquartered in Daly City. There are dozens of Filipino restaurants and bakeries, and the Filipino fast food restaurant Jollibee's picked Daly City for its first U.S. location. It may not be the Philippines itself, but you have access to the goods, to friends and social networks that make it easier for them to feel more comfortable and to kind of ease into a new landscape and new way of life. Mayor Justlyn Manalo is from a generation of Filipino-Americans who grew up surrounded by these tastes and sounds of Filipino culture. It's part of their identity. They grew up with these spaces, these foods, these traditions, and it's a big part of who they are and how they see themselves as part of a wider network and community. Now Manalo is committed to making Daly City a welcoming place for people of all backgrounds. She says she owes it to her elders. I'm a beneficiary of those that were leaders uh, way before my time um, to be able to affect the community now. The Filipino and Filipino-American roots run deep in Daly City, more than 70 years. You can see it at City Hall. There's this wall with photos of past mayors. It was heavily Caucasian men on that wall, and then finally a Caucasian woman, and then further down the line you saw diversity. So, you know, like it, there, there has been that change that reflects the population. Over the last three decades, Manala says Filipino-Americans like her have been showing up on that wall. That was producer Amanda Stupai. Put 
Patricio Janelle's second film, Lupia with a Vengeance, is on a film festival circuit right now. Keep an eye out for it. To watch trailers for both his movies and hear more about what inspires his filmmaking, go to baycurious.org. Bay Curious is made by Olivia Allen Price, Susie Racho, Chris Hoff, and me, Katrina Schwartz. Our show is a production of member-supported KQED in San Francisco. And folks, I've got good news. The talented Olivia Allen Price is back from her maternity leave and will resume hosting next week. It has been so fun to fill in for her and connect with all of you. Thanks for listening to Bay Curious. Bye. Hi, Bay Curious listeners. Are you ready to play May's trivia game? Every month, we read a question here at the end of our episode. You can give us your answers over at our website, kqed.org slash baycurious, or just click the link in the episode description. Out of the correct answers, we'll randomly choose one lucky winner to receive a cool prize package with Bay Curious swag and Sierra Nevada goodies. Okay, our question for the month is, the world's longest-running pillow-fighting contest was held from 1966 to 2006 in what Bay Area town? Our trivia quiz is made possible by Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Good luck! Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment, and if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks.